Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, The Pursuit of Happiness, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Philippians. Here's Pastor Nick. You can earn by working for it. It's a gift that God gives you, and you receive it by faith. But once you have received salvation, now it's time to work it out practically, to work out what God has worked in you. One author put it this way, and I think this is so key and brilliant. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. See, those are two different things. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. That's so key. One thing that helped me to understand this is to understand that uh, when I came to find out that the word that Paul uses for work out is actually a mining term, like for miners who dig in the earth. And what do miners do? They dig in the earth to do what? To extract what's already in there. To extract the valuable resources They don't put the resources in there. God puts them in there. They just dig out. They bring to the surface what God has already put in. And that's a great description of what it means to work out your salvation, which God has worked in you. You're extracting. You're bringing to the surface what God has worked in you as if you're a miner. You're you're doing... You're bringing to the surface what He has worked in you through His work in you of making you a new person in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible tells us this, that in Christ we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That God has called you, that God has a calling and a purpose for your life. He wants to use you in this world to do his work. Your job is to work that out. That salvation that he's worked in you, you get to work it out. But as you do that, understand that it's not just like you're on your own and you better not mess up. God is going to give you the ability to do it and he's going to give you the desire to do the things which he has called you to do. In other words, God's work in your life isn't just about transforming your actions. It's also about changing your will, changing your desires, changing the things that you love, the things that you want, the things that you desire to pursue so that they match his desires, so that they are what he wants. See, the idea is this, that since God is doing such a great transforming work in us, then we ought to do all that we can to live it out. In other words, don't just pray, God, help me know you better. Spend time reading the Bible. Crack it open. Hide God's word in your heart. Don't just pray, God, give me a better marriage. Actually take steps to have a better marriage, right? Serve your spouse in practical ways. Go out together. Do things to make your marriage better. Don't just pray, God, use my life. Don't just pray that. Join a ministry. Serve in an outreach. Give to missions. Don't just pray, God, I want to be pure turn off that show, right? Like stop watching, stop looking at those websites. Get some accountability in your life. You've got to get radical. That's the point. Don't just pray, God, I wish I had more Christian friends. Join a community group. Invite someone to coffee. Be friendly, right? Pray and trust God with your whole heart, but rise up and do everything in your power to get it done. So Charles Spurgeon, he says this. He says, there are some people who take the grace of God to be a kind of opium which, uh, with which they drug themselves to sleep. God works in us, they say. 
Therefore, there is nothing for us to do. He says, bad reasoning, false conclusion. God works, says the text. Therefore, we must work because God works in us. God's sovereign, someone might say. So I don't need to give offerings to the church. I mean, if God wants to provide for the church his finances, then he can do that. He's sovereign. He doesn't need me. Someone might say, well, God's sovereign, of course, so I don't need to be involved in mission work. I don't need to share my faith with people I know because God's sovereign. If he wants people to know him, he'll, he'll work it out. He's sovereign. God's sovereign, someone might say. If God wants me to grow and change and, and change certain aspects of my life, then he'll make it happen. It's not something I need to worry about. Spurgeon would say, bad reasoning, false conclusion. We must work out because God has worked in. Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 25 about a wealthy man who went away on a long journey and he left his servants in charge of his money. And one of his servants he entrusted with five talents. Now, I was curious what a talent is. Looked it up. Here's the deal. A talent was about 20 years wages for a laborer. So, did some quick math. And uh, so that's a lot of money. That says like $100,000, $150,000 in our money that this guy would have had if he had five talents. That's a lot. To another servant, he entrusted ten talents. And to a third servant, he entrusted one talent. So the master went away for several years, and when he returned, he called his servants together, and he asked them to give account of what they had done with what he had given them. The first two reported that they had taken what he had given them, and they had invested it, and they had brought back a good return on those investments. And the master told them, well done, Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with little, you will now be entrusted with more. And then he said, enter into the joy of your master. But the third servant reported that he had not invested the money that was entrusted to him. Rather, he had buried it in the ground so that it wouldn't get lost. And the master replied and said, why didn't you do anything with the stuff I gave you? And the man replied, and his reply is really classic. He says, I knew that you're a powerful man. You're a powerful man. You reap where you did not sow, and you gather where you scattered no seed. And so I did nothing. Here's what the man was saying, essentially saying, I know that you're so powerful. You have so much money already. You're so powerful that you don't need me to work for you. You can harvest without sowing. You can gather without planting seeds. That's how powerful you are. You don't need me to do anything for you. So I did nothing with what you gave me and because, hey, but hey, I didn't lose it. At least I didn't lose it. And the master was so upset that he cast him out of his presence. Now, do you see what that parable has to do with what we're talking about right now? You see, those who take God's sovereignty as an excuse for inaction are like the lazy servant in that parable. They say, God is so powerful, he's so sovereign, he doesn't need me to do anything. So I'm not going to bother using the time, the talents, the resources that he has given me. I won't bother investing them. I won't bother using them for things which I know he cares about. I'll just sit on them. I'll bury them in the ground because after all, he's powerful. He's sovereign. If he wants to do something, he doesn't need me to do it for him. God says, no, that's not the right attitude. The time, talents, and resources that he's given you, he wants you to put those things to use for his purposes. You see, that's what it means to be a steward. In church, we talk about stewardship. That's what the word means. It means that the things you have aren't really yours at the end of the day. They're really God's. And one day, he's going to call you in and ask you to give an account for what you did with what he gave you. 
Now, it's not an account like he's going to, you know, like your salvation depends on it, but he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you take what I gave you and use it to further his work, to further his kingdom, or did you just sit on it? So let me ask you, what has God entrusted you with? What are the time, talents, and resources that God has given you? And are you using them in such a way that at the end of the day, he would say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Or do you risk being more like the third servant who, who used the sovereignty of God as an excuse for inaction? We're called to work out what God has worked in. In other words, like the battle belongs to God, victory is promised, but you've still got to fight. That brings us to our second point, and that is how to shine bright. Let's read from verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul was in jail when he wrote this letter, and yet what's so surprising about this letter is that whereas most people, we would find it very easy to grumble and complain in such a situation, Paul is not like that. Paul is full of joy because he's trusting in God's providence. He has a hope which is bigger than his circumstances, and that is different, isn't it? It stands out. Do you think that it stood out to the Roman guards? I mean, they probably watched a lot, of, a lot of prisoners over their time, right? I mean, there are a lot of people in and out of that jail, probably, you know, waiting to appeal to Caesar. So they've watched a lot of inmates over the years. Do you think that Paul's faith in God, do you think that the fact that he was characterized by joy, do you think that stood out to them? Absolutely. I mean, how could it not? We even read at the end of this letter, we've talked about it already in this study, that many of the guards who were watching Paul were turning to faith in Jesus as a result of having spent time with him. Now let me ask you this. Do you think Paul would have been effective as an evangelist to those Roman guards if he would have been a grumbler? If he would have spent his time disputing with others and complaining about why God allowed these things to happen to him? If he would have done that, he would have been, guess what? Just like every other prisoner in jail because that's what prisoners do. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. When you're joyful in jail, that, that's what stands out. When you complain in jail, you're just like everybody else. And you know what the guards would have said about him? They would have said, yeah, Paul's a Christian, but he's no different than anybody else we meet in here. I mean, that's how everybody is. They all complain like that. But because Paul was so radically different in his attitude and in his behavior, he stood out from the crowd. And here's what Paul realized, that he wants us as Christians to keep in mind. That your microphone is always on. Your microphone is always on. So I wear this wireless microphone on Sundays, and I'm super paranoid about it, right? Because I'm super paranoid that I'm going go to go into the bathroom, and the microphone's going to be on, or like I'm going to be saying some, you know, remark to somebody that I don't want everybody to hear, and then it's going to go out over the speakers, and everybody's going to be like, oh, you know? So I'm super worried. I check it like about a thousand times before I speak to make sure my microphone's not on, because I don't want to hear you guys hear me singing out of tune and stuff and all that. 
So what Paul's telling us is that as Christians, imagine it like this. You're rigged up with one of these guys, a wireless microphone, and it's always on. Do you think you'd live differently? Do you think you'd talk differently? Do you think you'd act differently if you knew that people were watching and observing and listening? Because here's the deal, they are. Because they know, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, they know. They know that you go to church. They know that you're the Christian guy at the office. People see your Facebook. They know what you're up to. They know you're a Christian. Don't forget, your microphone is always on. And that's not a bad thing. Let me tell you this. That is a good thing. It's a good thing to have a microphone. Let me tell you. Because if you're working out the salvation that God has worked in you, then you're going to shine like lights in this world. And that's a good thing. You're going to stand out. You're going to be a straight line in a crooked world. Jesus spoke about shining like lights in the world. And it's interesting because in one place, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is speaking to a crowd. And he declares to the crowd, I am the light of the world. Okay, but in another time, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, you guys are the light of the world. So which one is it? Is it that he's the light of the world or is it that we are the light of the world? Now, of course, the answer is both. But there's a difference. We are different kinds of lights in the same way that the sun is a kind of light and the moon is a kind of light, but they're different kinds of lights, right? The sun is a source of light and the moon simply reflects the light of the sun. It doesn't have its own light. It reflects the light of the sun. But you know what? There's an interesting phenomenon that takes place sometimes, isn't there? An eclipse takes place. And what's an eclipse? An eclipse is where our world comes in between the sun and the moon, the source of the light and the reflector of the light. And when that happens, the moon ceases to reflect the light of the sun. And so it is with us. We are only lights in this world in so much as we reflect and shine the light of the glory of Jesus. But if we have an eclipse... If we allow the world to come in between us and God, we cease to shine that light. If we become crooked and perverse ourselves, then we're just like everybody else. We no longer stand out. Think about it this way. Jesus called his disciples to be fishers of men. If you're going to be a fisher of men, you got to do two things, at least two things. Number one, you got to keep the boat in the water. And number two, you got to keep the water out of the boat. And that's what we're called to do. Keep the boat in the water, but keep the water out of the boat. We want to influence without being influenced. We want to become thermostats who change the temperature of the room that we're in rather than thermometers who just take on the temperature of the room that we're in. You've got to keep the boat in the water. Do you ever see fishing boats in people's driveways? They look super silly, right? You're going to fire that baby up, gun it. It's not going to do anything. And you're certainly not going to catch any fish, you know, on your street in your neighborhood just with your boat on a trailer in your driveway. And likewise, if you want to reach people who don't know Jesus, well, you've got to go and be around some people who don't know Jesus. You've got to get a little bit wet. You've got to put your boat out in the water. But you've got to keep the water out of the boat. If in your attempt to catch some fish your boat fills up with water, then you're going to sink and you're going to drown, right? And it's not going to be good. And there are plenty of people who, in the name of getting their boat out in the water, have totally sunk their boat because they've just let all the water into the boat. Some of us, some of you probably, need to get your boat out in the water a little bit more. Like a flashlight doesn't do a lot of good in broad daylight, right? you got to go into a dark place. You need to be more missionally minded in regard to your neighbors and your friends and your family and coworkers. But others of us, 
you do great at that part, right? You get your boat out in the water. In fact, maybe your boat's way out in the water and it's about to sink because you've let too much water into the boat. In other words, you've been influenced by the world in ungodly ways more than you have influenced your world for Jesus. So this is Paul's encouragement to us. Remember, your microphone's always on. Be a light in the world. Be a straight line in a crooked generation. Reflect the light of Jesus' glory in how you live your life and watch out for anything that would get in the way of that. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. And keep the boat in the water, but keep the water out of the boat. How's that for like 50 metaphors right there? Boom. I hope you wrote those all down. You can draw some pictures or something. All right, next one. Final point. Risking it all. In the final verses, Paul is now going to give us three examples of what it looks like to live this way that he's been talking about. This way that he's been encouraging the Philippians to live in light of the gospel. He's going to give us three examples of people who are doing that in different ways. The first one is himself. The second one is Timothy. And the third one is Epaphroditus. So let's read from verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul here is describing the kind of life that leads to true joy and lasting joy. The first example he gives of a life that's lived this way in response to the gospel is his own life. He says, if you guys continue in the faith, if you hold fast to the word of life, the gospel, it's going to bring me Great joy because I will know that everything I did, everything I gave up, everything I sacrificed, that it was totally worth it. Paul uses this vivid metaphor here of pouring out his life like a drink offering. This is an image from the Old Testament sacrificial system in which they would pour expensive wine onto the altar as an offering to God. And Paul is saying, that's what I did with my life. I poured out my life. I gave my time, my energy. I gave the best years of my life. I dedicated them to the work of God and the spreading of the gospel, planting churches and pastoring people. And he says, ultimately, I ended up in jail for it. I I may even pay the ultimate price for it, but if I were to know that you continue in your faith, that would bring me great joy. Either way, it's worth it because I did it for God, but it would bring me so much joy to see that you guys continue in your faith, that my sacrifice was worth it. So the first example of a life that's lived in light of the gospel is Paul's own life, a life that was poured out, a life that was given completely in service to God through service to others. The next example Paul gives us is the life of Timothy, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul says, there's no one I've ever met who's quite like Timothy. Whereas everybody else out there is concerned with their own interests, I have never met someone who so genuinely cares and is concerned with the welfare of others. This is the second example of what this kind of life looks like that Paul's talking about. A life lived in response to the gospel. Working out your salvation. Living as a light in the world. To truly care about other people more than you care about yourself. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Paul talked about it in the section we studied last week. That Jesus, although he was God, 
He emptied himself. He considered your needs more than his own comfort. And he lived out the gospel. It's something that we get to do. That same thing which Jesus did for us, we get to do it for the sake of others. And finally, he talks about this third man, Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he had been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, nearly to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Epaphroditus, you kind of put together the puzzle and figure out what's going on. Here's the deal. He was a person from the church in Philippi who the Philippians had sent to visit Paul in jail. And now he's been with Paul for a time. He was there to encourage him. And now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi, back to the Philippians, and he's sending this letter, which we're reading, in his hand to hand deliver to the Philippians. Now, something we know from chapter 4 of this letter is that the Philippians not only sent Epaphroditus to visit Paul, but they sent him with a monetary gift, a gift of money, which Epaphroditus delivered to Paul. The Philippians had taken up an offering to bless Paul and to provide for any of his needs that he might have had. It was actually common in those days that if you were in jail, that you had to pay for your own cost of being in jail. And so they, they're helping him out here. They're giving him some money. But either on his way down to see Paul or while he was already in Rome, we read that Epaphroditus became ill. In fact, he became so sick that he almost died. And Paul says this phrase in verse 30, Epaphroditus risked his life to complete your service to me. He risked his life for the cause of Christ. And Paul holds up Epaphroditus as the third example of what it means to live a sold-out life, to be all in, to give your whole life to him who gave his life for you. And Paul says, I want you to honor such people, hold them in high regard, people who are willing to take risks to do God's work, people who are willing to pay a cost to do the work of Christ. Paul wants us to see these three examples of what it looks like to live out the gospel. First of all, he says, Living out the gospel looks like laying down your life on the altar like he did, like Paul did. Living out the gospel means truly considering the needs of others above your own comfort like Timothy did. Living out the gospel means being willing to take risks and pay a price for the cause of the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ like Epaphroditus did. Because ultimately, guess what? These are the things that Jesus did for us. Each of those things he did for us. And so in light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus did for you, in light of who you have become in him, now work out your salvation and shine like lights in the world. And as you do that, not only will you bring glory to God, but you will have joy. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the gospel and we thank you that when we really understand the gospel, invariably it fills our hearts with hope and that hope translates into joy. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to work out our salvation in our lives. As we see in the life of Paul, who poured out his life, and Timothy, who truly cared for others more than himself, and in, in light of Epaphroditus, who was willing to go to great extents 
for the work of Christ. Lord, would you help us to work out our salvation in our life? Thank you, Lord, that ultimately it is you who is working in us both to do and to will for your good pleasure. We thank you, Lord, that it's for your good pleasure that you've saved us, not because we deserve it, but because you're good. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here today who, on that first point we talked about, they need to understand that they need to have their own faith. Maybe there's someone here today who would say, you know, that's me. I've, I've been kind of riding the coattails of somebody else. I've been kind of um, tagging along on my spouse's faith or on my friend's faith or on my parents' faith. Lord, would today be the day when they say, it will be my faith. I will follow Jesus. I will give my life to him. I pray you do that work and that they would pray in their heart and say, yes, Lord, I, I know that I'm a sinner, but thank you for the cross. Thank you for that blood-stained ground of Calvary where on the cross you paid my price with your blood. And now I receive that. I ask you to be my Lord. I pray for all of us here today that our hearts would be committed to you in such a way. And we pray that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.